Welcome to Murder Bucket, the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. I'm your host, Hannah. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Good evening, everyone. On tonight's episode, I will be talking about the Eastern State Penitentiary, located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But before we get started, I'm sure you've noticed that it's not Monday, and that a new episode didn't come out last night. That's because I've decided to move my episode release day to Tuesdays. And the reasoning for this is because I work a full-time job And on Mondays, when I come home, I cook dinner, and I have to take care of my one-year-old. Also, my husband and a few of our friends play D&D, so there's really no time for me to get away to be able to record, edit an episode, and then upload it. So, new episodes will now be coming out on Tuesdays. Now, why don't we just go ahead and get started? Eastern State Penitentiary was designed by John Haviland. It was considered to be the world's first true penitentiary. Some believe that it was the largest and most expensive public structure in the country at the time. John found most of his inspiration for the new prison from other prisons that were built in the 1780s in England and Ireland. The prison was given a neo-Gothic look in hopes to instill fear into those who thought about committing a crime. The design became known as the hub-and-spoke plan, which consisted of an octagon-shaped center with connecting corridors. Each cell had a rectangular opening in the door for food and work materials, as well as a peephole, so that guards could observe prisoners without being seen. It had a revolutionary system of incarceration, which encouraged separate confinement as a form of rehabilitation. It was said that the warden was legally required to visit every inmate every day, and guards were mandated to see each inmate three times a day. The original prison opened in 1836 and was able to house about 250 prisoners. The Pennsylvania system was very much opposed to the New York system, which held that prisoners should be forced to work together in silence and could be subjected to physical punishment. This was called the Auburn system. Although the Auburn system was favored in the United States, Eastern States' radial floor plan and system of solitary confinement was the model for over 300 prisons worldwide. Originally, the inmates had cells that were only accessed by entering through a small exercise yard that was attached to the back of the prison. There was only a small portal large enough to pass meals opened onto the cell blocks. It proved to be extremely impractical. So, in the middle of construction, the cells were constructed so the prisoners could enter and leave the cell blocks through metal doors that were covered by a heavy wooden door to filter out the noise. 
It was believed that if the doors were small enough, it would minimize an attack on an officer. The cells were made of concrete with a single glass skylight to represent the eye of God. It was to suggest to the prisoners that God was always watching over them. The church viewed imprisonment, usually in isolation, as an instrument that would modify sinful or disruptive behavior. The time spent in prison would help inmates reflect on their crimes committed, giving them the mission for redemption. Outside each cell were individual areas for exercise, all enclosed by high walls so the prisoners could not communicate with each other. Exercise was synchronized so that no two prisoners next to each other would be out at the same time. Haviland completed the architecture of Eastern State Penitentiary in 1836, and at that time, it could house up to 450 prisoners. When it closed, it could house up to 1,700 prisoners. In 2018, my husband and I spent some time in Philly and visited the prison for a tour. While we were inside one of the wings, our tour guide told us that when a prisoner is removed from their cell for either a visitor, showers, or a trip to the medical wing, their heads were covered with a hood so that if or when a prisoner is released, they wouldn't recognize another person who might have been at the prison at the same time. Can you imagine being a prisoner there and every time you had to leave your cell, you got a hood put over your head? never knowing what the hallways or anything outside your cell even look like? I know in most prisons, prisoners are escorted to and from wherever by guards. But being escorted by a guard here is so much different. They are responsible for not letting you run into anything or trip. They are your eyes, and that just seems like an odd thing to think about. They also told us that the cell accommodations were advanced because they each had a faucet with running water and toilets that were remotely flushed by the guards twice a week, as well as curved pipes along part of one wall, which served as a heating source during the winter. In the original design, the prison was going to have seven one-story cell blocks. After the third cell was completed, it was already over capacity. That, in turn, made the remaining cell blocks two stories. When cell blocks 14 and 15 were built, they were built very hastily due to the overcrowding and were built by the prisoners. In 1908, a freestanding building was constructed for the prison kitchen and included a loading dock and truck scale. Jewish inmates serving time were given access to their rabbinical council but had no former place of worship until 1927 when construction began on the synagogue in the former exercise yards of cell block 7. It was believed to be the first prison synagogue in America. The Jewish population grew to around 50 by 1929. That synagogue was restored in 2008. If an inmate acted out, they were punished with the individual treatment system, which meant that they were separated from other prisoners. It was thought that this form of punishment was the most effective. But in 1913, the solitary confinement system eventually collapsed due to the overcrowding problems. And by 1913, Eastern State had officially abandoned that solitary system and operated as a congregate prison until it closed in the 1970s. In 1924, Gifford Pinnock, the Pennsylvania governor, sentenced Pep, a dog, to a life sentence at Eastern State because he believed 
that he murdered his wife's cherished cat. Pep was assigned an inmate number and had a mugshot taken. It turns out the whole story was fake. The governor actually got the puppy from his nephew, and when the puppy grew up, he started a very bad habit of chewing on furniture. I mean, isn't that like most dogs? But instead of sending him to the pound, he brought Pep to the prison and he became the prison dog. This is the reason that mugshot was actually taken. It was either considered a joke or a publicity stunt. It's believed that a news reporter with a sense of humor started the rumor about him killing the cat because he needed a catchy story. Pep was featured in the December 26, 1925 issue of the Boston Daily Globe. The governor's wife set the story straight in an interview with the New York Times. Pep spent the remainder of his life at the penitentiary and was buried somewhere on the grounds. On April 3, 1945, 12 inmates escaped through a tunnel that was dug by Clarence Kleindens. It was around 97 feet long and it took him over a year to dig. The entrance of the tunnel was located in cell block 67 and exited outside near the corner of 22nd Street and Fairmont Avenue. Most of the men that escaped were actually caught within minutes, but Clarence was out for over two hours and 10 years was added to his sentence. Around the 60th anniversary of the escape, archaeologists were brought in to rediscover the location of the tunnel. They used excavation techniques such as ground-penetrating radar to determine whether or not any portion of the tunnel remained preserved beneath the site. The cell was put on display in 2013, and visitors can see six cases full of mugshots, shanks, newspaper clippings, and photographs relating to the escape attempt. Even though there were no executions done at Eastern State, cell block 15, known as Death Row, was opened in 1959, and it was the last cell block to be added. It was primarily a punishment block, and it housed some of Pennsylvania's most violent and aggressive criminals. The prisoners housed here lived in physical isolation from each other and the staff. In order to minimize contact between guards and inmates, a wall of bars was installed in the center of the corridor, creating two hallways— Inmates were transferred to the State Correctional Institute at Rockview, where they awaited their execution. When the prison closed, the bars were removed and sold for scrap. The very last death row inmate to be housed at Eastern State was Samuel Barlow. When he arrived, he was escorted by seven guards to his cell. He was told that the reasoning for so many guards was to make the other inmates view him as dangerous. His death sentence was overturned in 1972 after a Supreme Court ruling voided capital punishment statutes around the country. He served the next 48 years in prison, and his sentence was commuted by Governor Tom Wolfe, and he was released to a community correction center in 2019. In 1965, the facility was designated a National Historic Landmark. I'm sure you're wondering who are the most notable inmates that were ever housed here. And I've got that list right here. Everyone knows who Al Scarface Capone is. He was Chicago's most famous mob boss, and he spent eight months of his life at Eastern State Penitentiary from 1929 to 1930. He was arrested for carrying a concealed weapon while in a theater. 
He was thought to have gotten arrested on purpose to stay safe from members of a rival gang. His time at Eastern State was his first prison sentence, and unlike the rest of the inmates that were housed here, he spent his time in relative luxury. His cell had fine furniture, oriental rugs, and a cabinet radio. He was housed in a section of the prison known as Park Avenue, where more of the high-profile inmates were. Victor Babe Andreoli was convicted of killing a Pennsylvania state trooper in 1937. He was to serve a life sentence for first-degree murder. In 1943, he escaped by hiding in a delivery truck that was leaving the prison. He was shot in a diner in Chester, Pennsylvania, after it took police several weeks to catch up to him. Morris the Rabbi Bulber he arrived at Eastern State in 1942 after being sentenced to life in prison for being a member of an arsenic murder ring in Philadelphia. He was considered one of the leaders of the group. The whole gig was to appeal to women who wanted their husbands killed in order to collect the insurance money. Between 1932 and 1937, his group was responsible for at least 30 deaths. There were more than 16 men and women that were convicted for participating in this. After his incarceration, he joined the Jewish congregation in the new synagogue. After Leo Callahan was convicted of assault and battery with the intent to kill and sent to Eastern State Penitentiary, he and five other inmates escaped by building a ladder and scaling the East Wall in 1923. His five accomplices were eventually captured but Leo was never caught. If he is alive today, he would be over 110 years old. Women were a part of Eastern State for more than 100 years, and they mainly worked on the landscape around the yard. Frida Frost was serving a 20-year sentence for poisoning her husband. In 1923, she was transferred to the Muncie Industrial Home for Women and was one of the last female inmates to be housed at Eastern State. William Francis Sutton was one of the most famous bank robbers in American history and spent 11 years at Eastern State. Sutton was a part of the Great Tunnel Escape of 1945, but he was captured just minutes after he exited. He was credited for over 50 bank robberies, three successful escapes from prison, and he served over 30 years behind bars. Frederick Tenuto was also part of the tunnel escape and was the last inmate to be captured. He avoided being captured for almost two months, but was caught while planning a bank robbery. In 1946, he was transferred to the Holmesburg Prison in Philadelphia, but he escaped there as well and has never been caught. The prison was closed in 1970 and many of the remaining prisoners and guards were transferred to the Gratterford Prison, between 1970 and 1971, the city of Philadelphia housed prisoners here from the county prison following a riot. The city of Philadelphia purchased the property in 1980 for just over $400,000 in hopes to redevelop it. There were several proposals presented such as a mall and a luxury apartment complex. The Eastern State Penitentiary Task Force petitioned Mayor Wilson Good in 1988 to halt the redevelopment proposals, and in 1994, it was open to the public for history tours. More than 10,000 visitors attended in the first year. 
There were no significant renovations or restorations attempted at the facility until 1991 when the Pew Charitable Trust provided funding so that the preservation efforts could begin. The first project didn't start until 2001, and that was when the perimeter lighting project was funded by the Department of Community and Economic Development. Next was the rotunda and links roofing in 2002. The industrial building stabilization restoration began in 2003, as well as the hospital roof stabilization. In 2003 and 2004, donors to the annual appeal made temporary repairs possible to the roof and drainage system of the operating room and the recovery room. In 2004, the greenhouse stabilization project began and was completed in 2005. As previously mentioned, the synagogue restoration began in 2006 and was completed in 2008. The solarium above the hospital and cell block 3 was started in 2008. That restoration was very important not only architecturally, but also for the cell block below. The kitchen and bakery roof stabilization was done in 2009. This was done to allow protection for several years until funding could be obtained for a permanent roof. Collections began in 2011 for the restoration of the roof and drainage system of cell block 15, also known as Death Row. Currently, Eastern State operates as a museum and historic site that is open year-round. There are several ways you can tour the facility. Daytime tours include a guided audio tour that is narrated by actor Steve Buscemi. This tour is included with general admission. According to their website, they are hoping to open their daytime tours again on March 12, 2021. During COVID, you can take a personalized, guide-led tour virtually from anywhere in the world. Next on the tour list are night tours. These tours include the chance to explore each cell block and yard, get this, at nighttime. You are able to enjoy everything that is open during the day, as well as large-scale projections that are on the penitentiary's 30-foot walls. This includes a silent film that was shot at Eastern State in 1929 and animated films created by currently incarcerated artists. When the night tours return this year, I would love to go back and actually get to explore it in the dark. If you are one of those that love haunted houses, then you should check out the annual haunted house Halloween event called Terror Behind the Walls. This event is run by the Eastern State Penitentiary Historic Site. The first event took place on Halloween weekend in 1991. In 2001, it was reconfigured into three separate, smaller attractions that included a 3D haunted house. In 2003, four semi-permanent haunted attractions were constructed inside. As for me, I'm way too chicken to do haunted houses here. Even though I love true crime and everything paranormal, I just can't get around doing a haunted house and not being freaked out for weeks. Another cool thing that is offered here is event rentals. You can rent out the entire facility for parties, weddings, corporate events, photo shoots, film shoots, or whatever your heart desires. Maybe I can talk my husband into renewing our vows here.
wouldn't that be so interesting? But for real, if you get married here, can I please have an invite? I would love to see a wedding happen here. There are also several art exhibits at the prison currently that you can see while on tour. These include ghost cats. When the prison closed in 1971, a colony of cats started to live inside. When restoration began, the cats were captured and neutered, thus causing them to eventually die off. Artist Linda Brenner sculpted 39 cat sculptures which surrounded the property. The sculptures were purposely made out of material that slowly dissolves over time to represent the inevitable natural decay that faces all living things. The next exhibit on the list is the end of the tunnel. Hundreds of feet of red piping were installed by artist Dayton Castleman, representing paths of escaped routes used by prisoners. The next exhibit is called Recollection Tableaus. Six dioramas were sculpted by artist Susan Hagen to represent important moments in the prison's history. They are scattered around cell block 7. GTMO is a replica of a Guantanamo Bay detention camp cell that was set up by artist William Cromer inside one of the cells. Midway of Another Day is a metal sundial set up to show the passing of time. It is by Michael Grutheson in the courtyard of cell block 1. Another exhibit is called I Always Wanted to Go to Paris, France. Artist Alexa Hoyer set up three TVs, one in a cell, one in a hallway, and one in a shower room, showing seven decades of prison films. The title I Always Wanted to Go to Paris, France is from a quotation from one of the film excerpts screened in the prisoner's cell. Juxtaposition was created by brothers Matthew and Jonathan Stimler, who divided cell 34 in cell block 11 horizontally. A grid at the ceiling supports a display of suspended plaster pieces along a single plane. Ground mica schists poured onto the floor softens the step and enhances the texture of the space, while a bench provides a vantage point in which to view and consider the overall effect of the piece. My Glass House is an ongoing project that was set up by artist Judith Taylor by taking black and white pictures of natural habitat found in the prison's walls. The prints are then turned into glass and replace the missing glass in the greenhouse in the courtyard of cell block one. Living Space was created by Johanna Inman and Ann Norton. It consists of five videos containing time-lapse photographs of the ways that Eastern State Penitentiary is altered by the changes of weather and light. The artists put their cameras in places that make Eastern State Penitentiary unique to capture the subtle ways nature plays upon the structure of the building. The goal was to create photographs which are contemplative. By allowing the public to see the gradual effects of the time upon specific places, Growth and decay are recognized and explored as components that make Eastern State a more living space. Mary Jo Boley's exhibit called Purge Incomplete explores the history of plumbing at the penitentiary. The building had running water before the White House did. Consisting of sculptural pieces made of resin, brass, and frosted glass, Boley's design are modeled after John Haviland's original design for the plumbing here. The exhibit includes views of plumbing from the vantage point of those residing or working at the prison, including that of prisoners,
prison guards, and the manufacturers of the plumbing. Additionally, the exhibit showcases the sculptures as having both opaque and translucent factors, in which the translucent parts glow within the cells. Because of its ominous appearance, Eastern State has been used in a variety of TV shows about hauntings. These include Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, BuzzFeed Unsolved, Cold Case, and MTV's Fear. Eastern State has also served as a location in several featured films. Terry Gilliam's 1995 film called Twelve Monkeys used it as the setting for a mental hospital. The 1998 film Return to Paradise used it as a substitute for a prison in Malaysia. The 2000 film called Animal Factory, directed by Steve Buscemi, relied heavily on Eastern State in its portrayal of a prison in a state of advancing decay. In June of 2008, Paramount Pictures used part of Eastern State Penitentiary for the filming of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. In June of 2007, Most Haunted Live conducted and broadcasted a paranormal investigation from Eastern State Penitentiary for seven consecutive hours hoping to come in contact with supernatural beings. In 2008, Paul Cahan, with the assistance of the site's education director, wrote the only comprehensive history book about Eastern State, called Eastern State Penitentiary, A History. He is a historian and a former tour guide. The book also has a foreword written by the penitentiary's former social worker. In 1985, Tina Turner filmed a music video for her song titled One of the Living Here. Philadelphia's own punk band, the Dead Milkmans, have a song called Punk Rock Girl, and it featured footage of the band in the prison. In 2012, the soundtrack to the film Alpha Girls was recorded in Eastern State Penitentiary by the band Southwark. I will be posting some of my personal photos that I took here while on a tour in 2017 on all of my social media accounts. So, check it out. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Please take the time to listen to this promo from my friends at Crime and Roses. Hi there, I'm Megan. And I'm Danielle. And we are Crime and Roses. We are a true crime and bachelor franchise recap podcast. Yeah, we're both. We are two Georgia attorneys watching and recapping all things Bachelor just for you. So we're talking Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, Winter Games, Summer Games, all the games. Basically any show that ABC comes up with and forces us to watch. And then we'll release a true crime episode connected to what we've seen on the show that week. So if you don't like true crime, we have The Bachelor. And if you don't like The Bachelor, we have true crime. And if you don't like either... We're probably not the podcast for you, and that's okay. So, if you're into one of those things, both of those things, come check us out as we combine our two favorite things into one-stop listening shop for you. So find us on your favorite podcatcher and on social media at Crime and Roses, and email us at crimeandroses at gmail.com. Bye! Love you, mean it! Thank you for listening to Murder Bucket, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at The Murder Bucket, on Facebook at Bucket Murd, and on Instagram at Murd Bucket.